the title of our series that we're in is called A Series on Stuff. Now, let's be honest for a moment. Who reckons that's a little bit of an odd title, right? You can be honest, right? Because stuff, right? What is stuff? That, that could, we could literally be talking about anything, which, which is good if you're me. It means, you know, like free reign. You can talk about anything. But, but the reason that we've got this series on stuff, and, and we just started it this morning, and I'm going to continue on tonight, and if you weren't here this morning, I encourage you, jump on our SoundCloud, jump on the Equipers Church app, and, and have a listen to this morning, because tonight's going to flow from it, but don't worry, you can still follow tonight. But, but we're really looking at this idea of, in life, there's lots of stuff. Who knows, in life, you're surrounded by stuff. There's, there's lots of stuff going on in life. There's good stuff, and, and there's bad stuff. And the problem with stuff is sometimes stuff ends up in places we don't want it, right? Sometimes something that's good ends up being placed in the, the place in our hearts where the ultimate thing should go. And all of a sudden, something that was good becomes bad because it's in the wrong place. Or maybe there's something bad that somehow found its way into our life, and all of a sudden, we've got some bad stuff going on, and it's changing who we are and how we behave and, and how we feel about ourselves and the world. See, see, in life, there's a whole lot of stuff. And so what we want to do in this series on stuff is, is, is have a look and see what are we trying to put in what place and what maybe do we need to shift around? Right, this morning we looked at essentially the, the story in John 4 of the original desperate housewife, right? This, this woman that, that Jesus meets at the well in Samaria. Where he comes in and he, and he meets this lady and, 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 and they have a conversation. Let's turn to it, yeah? Who's got their Bibles? Nice. If you haven't got your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. Kablam, look at that. I've got a magic finger. Uh, it, says, it says this. We're reading from uh, John chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 down to when I want to stop. Um, and we're reading from the message version. So read along with me in your brains. Don't read it out loud. I'll get distracted. It says this. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. Although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was still there, and Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and the well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and his livestock, and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artisan spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. Jesus said, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. 
oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming, it has in fact come, when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth, the kind of people that God is out looking for. Those who who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when He arrives, we'll get the whole story. I am He, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then His disciples came back. They were shocked. They couldn't believe that He was talking with that kind of a woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who knew all of the things that I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think that this could be the Messiah? And then they went out to see for themselves. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. God, I thank you for the the privilege and the opportunity it is to, to gather together as your people. God, we've come here not just to sing songs, not just to to see our friends. God, we've come here to hear from you. And and like Lucas said, God, we are waiting here for you. God, we're ready for what you're going to bring, God. We're ready for for the word that you want to speak into us. God, I thank you that it's not me, it's not my words, it's it's not my preparation. But as we're looking at this this scripture, God, as as we're looking at your word, as, as you're speaking to us, that somewhere between me holding this microphone and and the words landing in our hearts, God, that you'll do something. God, that you want to change us, God. That you want to encourage us, that you want to motivate us, that you want to point us towards who we could and should be, God. That you want to speak love and hope and grace and mercy into us. Thank you that you love us so much. I pray that we would be different when we leave than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series on stuff, right? Because most of humanity will attest that, that though there is great stuff in the world, and, and though there is not so great stuff, it's all just that. It's just stuff. Nothing will, will fill that hole that we have inside, right, no matter how good it is. And as a result, I think what ends up happening is we spend a, a lot of our life searching. We spend a lot of our life searching for belonging, searching for confidence, searching for, for satisfaction, searching for success. We all seem to be on some sort of a search, right? And some people seem to be better at the search than others. Some people seem to have gotten a little bit closer to finding that thing that, that will make everything all right. But no one seems to have ultimately found it, right? Oftentimes on the search, we don't seem to find what we're looking for. In fact, most of the time when we're searching, we haven't found what we're looking for, even if it looks like someone's found it. Even if they've, they've got that Instagram account and they're posting those photos and they look like they're amazing, often it's just not true, right? It's just not quite there. There was an interesting uh, Instagram account that, that M pointed out to me this week where I think it was a French advertising agency paid this model to, to set up an Instagram account. Right, and she was taking photos and taking photos and taking photos. You know, here's me with my friends. Here's me shopping. Here's me buying macaroons because 
let's really take photos of yourself doing. Right, and, and she's taking all these photos and she's building up followers. She gets to something like, like a couple of hundred thousand followers, right? She's doing well on an Instagram account. And then it comes out that, that actually this isn't an Instagram account. It's an ad campaign. But it's not just any ad campaign, because who knows, you know, Instagrammers get paid to be like, oh, look at my shoes, and then you buy more of their shoes, yeah? If you don't know that, now you know. But this was an interesting Instagram account in that it was all about alcoholism. This lady was an alcoholic, this fictional character they'd created. And you didn't notice it at first, but every photo she put up had a glass of alcohol somewhere. She had wine in her bag, which is all right, but then she was at the beach with a glass of wine, and then she was at home with another glass of wine, and then it was early in the morning, and she had one of those morning alcoholic drinks that I don't know what they're called. Mimosa? Whatever. We're Christians. We don't know, right? (laughs) Just go with it. Right, but, but here's the thing. No matter who it looks like is successful, who it looks like has attained what you think you want, Everyone's actually searching. No one's found it. Not out there. None of the stuff has filled that hole inside. And so what often happens is a coping mechanism we use for for that searching but not finding what we're looking for is we employ a someday mentality. Yeah, we we, we chuck in this this idea that that maybe I don't have it now. Maybe everything's not great now. Maybe I haven't found the success I want now, but someday, right? The the, the reason that we do this is because after not finding what we're looking for straight away, we start to cope in that way so that we can move on, right? Though I'm not finding what I want now, someday, then there'll be a day when I have my Disney moment, right? There'll be a day when I'm in the movies and the stars align and all of a sudden the birds start singing and they descend on me and everyone breaks out into song and coordinated dance and I have my someday. That was the best spin I'm ever going to do in my life. Right, but, but we wait for that someday moment because today sometimes seems disappointing. Right, who maybe identifies with some of these statements? Don't put up your hand, but someday I'll lose weight. Someday I'll have the corner office. Someday I'll get the job that I want. Someday I'll get married. Someday I'll have my dream house. Or if you're in this current housing market, someday I will just buy some sort of piece of land. Right, there's a someday that that seems to be hiding behind a lot of our wishes and sentiments and thoughts. Right, someday can be dangerous for a variety of reasons. I encountered one of the reasons that someday is very dangerous today, right? This is a fresh story. Sometimes you get like a week old story. Sometimes I tell a story like it's a week old and it's years old. But this is a today story. Right, today we we had a great lunch. If you didn't come to lunch, we missed you. But you're invited next week. We're going to do lunches for the next Uh, four weeks, and then we're going to do the November thing. So just hang out with us every Sunday. You're invited to hang out, all right? Cool, good. But uh, this this today, (laughs) yeah, go with it. Today, um, we we finished lunch, and I went home to finish writing the sermon because I hadn't finished writing it. Uh, And I got home, and I I went, I was procrastinating a little bit. Whoever procrastinates? Yeah, right? So I was like, I need to read over my sermon. I need to finish it off. And, And I walked into my office which is actually where I put my clothes because Emma stole all the closets in our bedroom. Um, slash, we both have too many clothes. Anyway, right, walked into to the office and I saw wrapped up in a plastic bag my, my hiking boots, right? And about three weeks ago, uh, Emma and I went down to the West Coast and I spoke in Westport. And a part of that, we went through Arthur's Pass and climbed the mountain in the snow, right? It was awesome. And as a result, my hiking boots had gotten uh, muddy and wet, right? Because snow, mountains get muddy and wet. 
Uh, and so I'd, I'd wrap them in a plastic bag and I'd put them in my bag to take back home to, to not, you know, dirty the rest of my clothes. And, and then I got home and I took the plastic bag out of my bag and I put it down in my office and went, I'm going to clean that. So today I walked into my office and I was like, oh man, I should make sure, you know, I'll just take them out now and, and, and let them air out because, you know, they've been in there for a little while. <laughs> so I open the plastic bag and I go to remove my hiking boot and I kid you not, I should have taken a photo. It was green. Like green, green. Like when I was 12, I did an experiment to see how mold grows on bread. And after three weeks, after three months, sorry, that mold, that moldy bread was not as moldy as these boots were. They were like this thick. Who knows when it gets moldy and it's like green, but then mold has grown on the mold. So there's like some yellow stuff and the mold started putting out hyphae, which are like those like cobwebby things. These boots were like messy. Because when I got home, I was like, someday I'll clean these. But I don't want to do it now because effort, right? I'll just leave them in the plastic bag. Surely they'll be all right. Someday is dangerous. Someday results in mold. Someday results in things falling apart. See, the problem with the someday mentality is that we're not enjoying today. Because someday everything will be perfect. The house of your someday is amazing, right? You don't have to pay rates. You don't have to mow the lawn. There's no maintenance. It's just like a self-maintaining house. Your perfect person that you're going to meet and spend the rest of your life. In your someday, they're a robot. You just come home and they're like, boop, 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 boop. Hello, loved one. May I help you? Right, someday everything always works out. That was my robot. I think it was good. Right, the, the ancient Samaritan woman in this story, she deals with the same kind of someday-itis that we do, that we have in our world today. See, Jesus explains the, the gospel that, that God is amongst the people. We talked about it this morning. He tells her, look, you think that you don't fit in. You think that you can't meet with God. You think that you're out. You think that you're the lowest of the low. But I'm here. Jesus is here to change everything. The mountain has come to you. No longer do you have to, to meet the list. This is about relationship, right? Jesus tells her the most mind-blowing, amazing news anyone could ever hear. And, and she responds with a case of the Sundays, right? She replies to him by saying, I, I don't know about that. You just told me that everything's changed, but I don't know about that. What I do know is that the Messiah is coming someday. And when he does, we'll get the whole story. The interesting thing is that was never promised. That was never prophesied. It was prophesied that Messiah would come, that Messiah would bring freedom, that the Messiah would free the Jewish people, that the Messiah would change the world. But it was never prophesied that Messiah would come and give answers to everything, that the Messiah would come and would get the whole story. See, Jesus responds to that, I am he. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. But her someday insinuates that she isn't picking up what Jesus is putting down. That, that somewhere along the line, she didn't know that she had an exclusive one-on-one -on -one with God. See, but then something happens. See, see we, we don't know what happens inside of her, but, but something happens in her soul. And the Bible says that, that in that moment, the 12 disciples showed up. And they're shocked that Jesus would be talking to this woman because this was not the woman that you talked to. Samaritans were the rejected race, and of the Samaritans, women were not appreciated, and of the woman, she was the woman who couldn't keep a husband. She was the lowest of the low of the low, and the social totem pole of the New Testament, she was the bottom, right? And, and, and so here she is, she, Jesus is talking to her, 
And, and the disciples show up and they're surprised. They're like, Jesus, you're meant to be a rabbi. You don't talk to people like that. And they don't say anything because they've been told off by Jesus enough for saying stupid things. But their faces show it, right? They probably come off and they're like, has anyone ever made that kind of face? And then you're like, oh, just got to check my face. Right? And so, <laughs> check your face. <laughs> and so as a result, she ran off into town. Right? As a result, she leaves in, in such a hurry that she leaves her water pot. And then back in the village, she tells the people, so something must have changed in her. Come and see a man who knew all the things I did, who knew me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And the people went out to see for themselves. She was, she was at the well in the blazing heat of the midday sun. Right? She was there because she wanted to avoid people. No one else came to the well at midday. She was there to, to hide. She, she was there to not be seen. She went out of her way to inconvenience herself, to make herself uncomfortable so that she didn't have to meet anyone. But then she leaves seeking people. She leaves looking for people, the very ones that moments ago she'd been avoiding, that she'd planned her whole day around. I don't want to run into anyone. She goes to the village looking for people to tell them something when she'd been hiding. See, see what's happened here? What was it Jesus' long explanation? No, he just said, that's me. I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm the Messiah. I'm the change. And it was suddenly as if she had found what she was looking for, that she'd found love, that she'd found acceptance, that she'd found belonging, and that she'd found it in Jesus. So she ran into town and she tells everyone about what had happened. Now, nobody's going to trust her, right? She's the woman that, that's renowned for telling stories. That even if you wanted to believe her story, you couldn't be seen to be believing the story that this woman was telling or else your social status would be degraded. No one's going to listen to her. But something about her somehow moves people from the town to go and see Jesus. There's something different about it. We have to go and see this person she's talked about to see what's happened. See, when you experience God, there's a feeling you get that God knows all about you. When you meet God, maybe it hasn't happened for you yet, or maybe it happened a long time ago and you need to remember what it's like. But when you meet with God in that moment, you realize that He knows all about you, that He knows everything you've done, that He sees right through you, but you also know that He still loves you with everything you've done with all of your blemishes and your mistakes, all your shortfalling, all those things that you try to put out of your mind about yourself. No, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I didn't think that way. I didn't do that thing. This is, I, Jesus sees all of it and he knows you and loves you. She said, she's trying to explain to, to the people this extraordinary experience that she had, that she went to the well for solitude and now this, this well is the place that she's trying to bring people to. But back at the well, the disciples were a bit confused, right? They'd been on an errand to get food for Jesus. Jesus was hungry, but, but Jesus told them when they came back with the food that he didn't need it anymore. It's, it says in, in John chapter 4, verse 31, in the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? Who's got an auntie that sounds like that? I've got an auntie that sounds like that. Jono, eat. Right? He told them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They're like, who got Jesus' food, <laughs> right? Well, what, what happened? We're meant to be his disciples. We're meant to go get him food. Who got Jesus' food? Who's trying to become the, the 13th disciple? Who's trying to become the 14th disciple? Who's trying to take out only so many disciples? Who's trying to take our job? 
Right? So they say to him, what, th- who could have bought you food? Who could have bought him food? They say to each other. And Jesus replies to them, the food that keeps me going is the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work that he started. See, his food isn't, isn't physical food, one would eat. It was accomplishing the work. See, this wasn't a charade. It wasn't like he was like, go get me food, and when you come back, I'll have a great metaphor about how I don't need food, just need God. Right? This was, he needed food. He was hungry. But they went away to get him food, and, and he put aside his desire, his need, his want to extend himself to minister to this woman at the well. And by the time they came back, even though he needed food, he was filled from the satisfaction of what he had been doing. See, satisfaction is two things. In life, we're going to be searching for satisfaction. In life, we're going to be searching to to fill that that hole in our hearts, to, to fill that need. In life, we're like the Samaritan woman, looking in all of the wrong places. But Jesus shows us that satisfaction is two things. Number one, it's knowing God. And number two, it's inviting others to do the same. See, satisfaction is when the created know the creator. In that, there is meaning, but it's also inviting others to know God. But here's the thing, inviting others to know God is going to cost you, right? It's going to cost you time and personal comfort. Don't be tricked into believing that the pathway to, to satisfaction is selfishness. Right, that I just have to look out for me, that I just have to, to climb a little bit higher on the ladder, that I just have to amass more in my life, that I just have to, to build myself up. See, satisfaction is found through selflessness. It, it, it's a paradox. See, eating food might satisfy my body, but serving others will satisfy my soul. See, isn't, isn't it interesting that, that Jesus didn't meet this woman on the way to a meeting, right? He wasn't on his way to temple. He wasn't on his way to to doing his religious duties as a rabbi. He wasn't in his ministry mode. It wasn't a Sunday for him. He meets this woman in the middle of doing life. He's tired and he stops and he sends his disciples on because he is exhausted. And in that exhaustion, he meets this Samaritan woman in the hottest part of the day when no one else around. What would that inconvenience look like for us? to meet someone in the hottest part of our day. I don't know what the hottest part of your day looks like. Maybe it's the busiest part of your day when you're rushing from meeting to meeting. Maybe it's that part of your day where you're you're picking up the kids. Maybe it's that part of your day where you've just gotten to the swing of things and finally your assignment is putting itself together. Right? But what would it look like to put everything down in that moment and serve someone else? That's so highly inconvenient. Have Have you ever been so in love that you forgot to eat? Anyone? Yeah, me neither, but I have been so engaged in playing video games that I forgot to eat, right? I don't know what that says about me. I don't know. Maybe it's because, you know, Em's always like, hey, let's go get something to eat. And so I'm just so in love with her, we go and get something to eat, right? But, but I have been playing video games for so long that I've been like, wow, breakfast time went, lunch time went, now it's dinner time. Has anyone ever played video games for so long they forgot to eat? Wow, there's way too many more hands that went up for that than love, right? <sighs> video games. Right, but, but <laughs> that's how Jesus felt. Not the video games one, the love one. Maybe the video games one, I don't know. Right, but Jesus is just so enamored with this lady. He's so loving of this lady. He's so engaged with this lady that his physical desire to eat dissipates. 
See, this is what church is about. See, church is more than just a meeting and a talk. It's a community of people doing life together, serving, who are so loving of each other that we actually hang out for so long we forget that we haven't eaten. Or maybe we eat because we're hanging out while we eat, but you get the kind of idea. Right? When we live together, we find satisfaction like this. See, in an ironic twist, I'm a selfish person. I'm constantly battling against me, myself, and I, right, against me finding my, you know, next step, me doing what's right by me, me getting my leg up. I always end up finding that, man, what, why am I behaving in this way that I don't want to behave? But, but when we live beyond our desires, we end up finding that they're filled in a way that we can't explain. See, satisfaction is a two-sided coin. It's knowing God, and it's living as a missionary, inviting people to know God as well. See, we need to leverage everything we have. We need to leverage our time and our money and our resources to bring people to know God. I don't know about you, but I've never heard anyone say, man, I wasted so much of my life bringing people to Jesus. Man, I wasted so much of my life serving in church and and building the church. Man, I wasted so much of my life just loving on people and forming significant relationships. I wish that I'd just spent a little bit more time at my desk, that I'd just filled out a few more spreadsheets, that that I'd managed to buy that car, that I'd built that extension on my house. Man, I just, I wish that I'd gotten to be the person who was written up in that magazine as the successful under 20. Five. No one's successful under 20. I say because I'm now 26. <laughs> right, but, but I've never heard, have you ever met that person? Like, man, I wish that I hadn't loved people so much. I wish that I hadn't given so much of myself. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I just spent too much time at church this Sunday. I wish I'd gone to the mall instead. Maybe you have. Maybe they need to come back to church. <laughs> right, but see, here's the thing. People spend time doing meaningless things. See, we spend so much time doing things that don't matter, and so often we spend too little time with the things that do matter, with with things like God, with family, with with real friends, with community. See, just as I get with Karshak, Jesus asks the disciples when he's having this conversation with them, they come back, he's been meeting with this lady who who says, you know, someday I'm going to find what I'm looking for. Someday the Messiah is going to come and he's going to explain everything. Jesus says to her, no, I am that day. I am that person. I am the, the realization of everything you're looking for. The disciples show up. They didn't check their faces, so she runs away. Right? And then the disciples say to her, man, you must be hungry. You must have, have needed something to eat. He says, I've been doing something that satisfied me in a way that food never could. And then he says this to them, and in John chapter 4, verses 35 to 38, he talks to them about planting and harvesting. And we need to understand this about the Jews. Their, their lives were scheduled around a calendar, right? Their devotion to God was set up that they would meet with Him on holy, sacred days. And it was on these holy days that God met with these people right, that met with his people. The people of God could go to the temple on certain days and and have a a priest intercede for them. But Jesus has just changed everything, and he says this to disciples. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months, it will be time to harvest? Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in the grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. 
That's the truth of the saying, this one sows, that one harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. See, most scholars believe that Jesus was talking about the people he was touching at the time. That people, as he's having this conversation with the disciples, they're here talking like me talking to Wakash. And behind Jesus is amassing these Samaritans come to see this Jewish rabbi who's telling them that they count for something. That they are loved. That unlike everyone's told them their entire life, they matter. That they're accepted. And he's saying, look, the field is right. They're here ready for us to meet with them, to tell them that they are loved, to tell them that God accepts them. See, this language makes more sense to the disciples than it might to you and me. But he's saying that we don't have to wait for a special day on the calendar to meet with God. Jesus is saying, I am God and I am here. You see, four months and then harvest was the ancient version of someday. You've heard it said that someday God's going to change the world. You've heard it said that someday the Messiah will come and He will change everything. This is what He's saying to His disciples. You've heard it said that Passover will, and then it will happen. You've heard it said that, that when I try harder, someday, then I can be expected to be blessed. Someday. Jesus is saying that day is today. He's saying to the disciples and He's saying to us, don't spend another day talking about someday. Today is the day. Today it happens. We don't have someday. All we have is today. See, God is saying He wants to be present and available. No more someday living. He is here today. Don't spend today on tomorrow planning what might happen, dreaming of the future that we might have. All we have for certain is now. But God is here now. God can work now. We don't have someday, but we do have today. See, it says in Proverbs that, that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I don't know about you, but I read that and I don't like it. Right? I'm like, I want to plan my way, and then I want God to kind of go in front of me and just remove any obstacles in my way that I have planned. Right, like I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna walk this way, God. Something cut in the way. There's a tree falling over on my path. You can just move that. Thank you, God. I'm gonna keep on going. Right, but it says that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, God's directing your steps today. And that might mean that you plan to go this way and you find you're going this way. But don't wait for someday when you're looking at that thing, man, I'm gonna get over there someday and you're walking that way. Just enjoy the today. Enjoy where God is taking you. Enjoy the places that God is moving you to. God is everything you need Him to be. Today is the day that the Lord has made, so we shall rejoice and be glad in it. See, Jesus demonstrates physically and visibly what He means, and the village is rocked. Right? He says to this woman who is the lowest of the low, you are accepted. You are loved. You don't have to wait for someday. You don't have to wait for this prophesied Messiah to come. I am here and I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. Your dreams come true today. The thing you've been waiting for happens today. The, the visions that you've had start today. And here's the thing. People show up and they were saved and it wasn't even a holy day. It wasn't the day to go to temple. See, here's the thing. Sometimes we're like, man, I can meet with God on Sunday. And then something happens on Monday or on Tuesday or on Wednesday, and we're like, man, I need to meet with God, but it's not Sunday. There's no Akash to play the keyboards for me, to get me in the right mood, to be able to talk to God. I guess I'm just going to have to wait. 
And then between that day and Sunday, things get worse and worse. Like the shoes in the bag, the mold starts to grow. And we show up on Sunday and we're like, man, I don't think that I can come to God today. I'm a bit too messy. I'll just clean myself up and someday I'll, I'll come to God. I'll just sort my stuff out, sort my life out a little bit more, get myself in you know, a bit more tip-top shape. But someday I'll meet with God. Someday I'll be open and honest and vulnerable with Him again. Someday I'll, I'll, I'll be truthful with my e-group about the struggles that I'm going through and the, the things that are happening. Someday I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to someone and ask them to stand with me in prayer. But I just need to work on me a little bit before. I'll, I'll do that someday. See, God can change everything in your world right now. Tomorrow morning is, is a regular Monday morning, but God can alter your life right here in a moment, but He can also alter your life right then in that moment. Every day is a day that God can work. See, see what, what's one thing you could do in response to this message? Right, first of all, know that every day is your today, that someday doesn't exist. Don't put it off. Don't wait any longer. Don't think one day I'm going to do that. Seize it. Do it today. Someday doesn't happen. Only today does. We don't wait to reach out to our friends and family. We do it today. We don't wait till they're more receptive or church is a bit nicer or I've just built up the confidence. Today is all we have. We ask them today. What is one thing that you could do in response to this message? Ask, ask God for a next step. Otherwise, this will just be another talk. Just some more pretty or less pretty words. Just some nice thoughts, good keyboard behind it. We can feel compelled, tick our box, and go about our life. See, if you remember nothing else from tonight, remember this. Don't let stuff get in the way of meeting with God. Don't be the Samaritan woman putting off meeting with God for someday. But don't let stuff get in the way of serving God. Don't be the disciples putting off talking to the Samaritans for someday. See, what's your someday and what's the thing that God's calling you to do? See, Jesus was at the well, but all it was was an ancient water cooler. All he's doing is, is having a water cooler conversation. Tonight, Jesus is at your water cooler and he wants to talk. He doesn't need a special time. He's not waiting for shout conference. He's not waiting for that moment where, you know, you've gone to a couple of sessions and you, your walls have been worn down a little bit and now maybe finally you feel that, yeah, no, I can respond. Jesus wants to meet with you in that way today. He's here anytime. When you yield to God, you'll experience incredible satisfaction. So just as everyone bows their heads and closes their eyes as the, the band comes up, Maybe you're here tonight, and, and we do this every service we have. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and if you're honest with yourself, you don't know God. Right? If you're honest with yourself, your someday is, man, I've been coming along to church for a bit. Maybe today's your first day. But I, I've heard about this, this Jesus thing and this God thing, but I've been planning on someday, maybe I'll give Him a shot. Once I know a little bit more. Once I've been a little bit more convinced, once I've stood in a few more worship services and gotten a few more goosebumps, then I'll, I'll, I'll ask God into my life. Then, then I'll let Him be the boss of everything that's going on, but not today. 
I want to invite you, if, if you know that where you are currently, God isn't your God, that that's you, that that's your responsibility, that you're having to keep the, the stars in the sky and the earth spinning. I, I want in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to raise your hand, to pray a prayer with me, to say, God, I need you to be my God. I can't keep on putting it off for someday. So tonight, if that's you, just as everyone's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, it's just me and one other person looking around. And we're only looking so that we can talk to you afterwards and help you in this decision. But if that's you here tonight and you want to choose to follow God, I just want you to raise your hand now to let me know. Awesome, I'll just give a few more moments. If that's you. Cool. So here's the thing, right? I'm going to take that to mean that, that we all have some sort of relationship with Jesus. Which means we're not so much the Samaritan woman anymore. We're the disciples. Which means behind us, as Jesus is speaking to us, there's a harvest. See, here's the thing. You know a truth that others don't. You know of a love that others are looking for. We carry hope that others need. And it's up to us whether they find out about it or not. And it might look like going to the well in the middle of the hottest part of the day. Going out of our way, inconveniencing ourselves. But what's one thing you can do this week that changes that someday thing that you know you should do to a two-day thing? That you join with God and say, God, I'm not putting it off any longer. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's a person you need to talk to. A prayer you need to pray. But what I want us to do is I, I want you to stand to your feet with me. And I want to pray a prayer for us. Is that all right? Why don't you stand up? If you feel comfortable, I just want you to, to raise your hands. If you don't, that's fine. God, we're here tonight knowing that you've called us. God, we're here tonight knowing that we are here not just for us. Not just to, to feel good about ourselves, not just to fulfill a religious obligation, God, but you've placed us here in this room. You've placed us in Wellington, in New Zealand, to make a difference, God. That we're here not just to go about our lives, God, but we're here to bring change. God, that we're here to bring hope to hopelessness. God, that we're here to bring love to those that are unloved. God, that we're here to bring hurt healing, God. That, that we're here to bring vision to those that can't see. God, that we have the harvest, God. God, that we can see that the field is ripe. God, that there are fields ready to be harvested that we haven't sown in yet, God. And it might take us being inconvenienced. God, it might take us stepping out. God, it might take us going to places we don't want to go, but we know that the harvest is ready. We know that the word that you've placed in our hearts, others need to hear. We know that you have placed a love in us that others need. So God, as we stand here tonight, we pray that you would help us not to put it off to someday any longer. God, that you would let us see that the fields are ripe, that we are called to stand up, to be your people, to be like the disciples, to take your word and your hope into a world that needs it. God, help us to be bold. God, help us to be courageous. God, help us to love. God, help us to go to the Samaritan woman and say, you are in. Come on, church, let's sing.